You are listening to the Testudo Times Podcast Network. Welcome back to this week's episode of the Testudo Times Weekly Podcast. Matt Levine and Lila Bromberg with you as we head into March Madness, officially knowing the Maryland men's basketball team will be a 10 seed, Maryland women's basketball team a 2 seed in both of their tournaments. And we'll start by kind of just recapping both their seasons before we get into what lies ahead. So for Lila, which do you want to start with, men's or women's here? Ooh, uh, you know, let's lead things off with women's today, honestly. So women's being a two seed will face off against Mount St. Mary's 15 seed in the first round on Monday. And it's, it's pretty similar in 2006 when they were the two seed, they won the national title. So, uh, I don't think that they're too upset with the number that they've got. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like first off, I just want to say like for anyone listening that, you know, feels turned off its women's basketball or, like, isn't considering watching the women's tournament. Like, this is the year to watch. The bracket is so wide open. And, you know, you look at a team like Maryland where it's just such a fun style of play. There's so many talented players, so many incredible offenses in uh, the bracket this year. So that's the first thing I would say. But, yeah, this women's team, I mean, they 100% could go all the way. I think the only reason they're not – a one seed is is because of the conference they're in, but I, I think they're better than, uh, you know, so a lot of the um, one seeds. And I think they ended up in a good region of the bracket with having South Carolina there. I think that's by far the weakest one seed. So I like their positioning there. I love, I mean, people know I've talked about this. I've tweeted about this. I absolutely love that UConn is on the other side of the bracket. You know, that keeps things in check for uh the uh you know championship matchup that i've been predicting all along so i love that um yeah i mean they definitely should have been seeded a one but i like the bracket they're in it's kind of strange that they're like facing a maryland team especially one that they were supposed to face earlier in the season in mount st mary's to start things off but i mean that's that's a very easy win i i like their path you know, South Carolina, that's going to be a tough game. But I really think the Terps can pull that out. Like, I genuinely do not see a team in this country being able to slow down this offense. Every, you know, people have kind of used it against them. Like, oh, like, the Maryland isn't playing defense. But that may have been the case earlier in the season, but that's simply not the case anymore whatsoever. You know, you look at their recent games and they've really, really improved there. You know, you look outside of those Iowa games where you have one of the top offensive in the country and the most points they've allowed over uh, the 13-game winning streak is 73 and they've only allowed 59.2 points on average if you exclude those two games. South Carolina's average is 59.3. And their defense has been at the same level recently as shown by that. But Maryland has a much, much better offense and wins by higher margins. So I think people are underestimating the Terps. But like you said, comparison to 2006, I I think it's fun to be underestimated like that. And they're going to shock a ton of people. And it's there's a lot of people still giving them recognition, but not as obviously a, a one seed, which I don't know how... Some people are overlooking the fact that they have the top scoring offense in the nation 
a very good defense, six players in double figures, all five starters leave last year. Just like there's so many different factors. And this team has really shocked me in a way um, based on the turnover from last year with the roster coming into this year, having not really any idea of who was going to step up. I mean, you knew it was going to be Miller and Owusu, but you didn't know how good they were going to be. And those two players have been just unbelievable for Maryland. And then you add in KD Benzin, the best three-point shooter in the nation. You add in Chloe Bibby, both transfers. She has experience playing in the NCAA tournament, especially in the championship game, which she did in her freshman year at Mississippi State. So it's just veteran leadership now that's coming in, and they've contributed right away, which I didn't really expect um, when the season first started. And now it's six players in double figures averaging and the best scoring offense in the nation. I think this team really has a chance to, to meet up with Maybe your your pick of the finals, UConn Maryland in the, in the championship game. And I think they can beat UConn. And you just mentioned the transfers coming in and playing a huge role. I think one thing I love Maryland, uh, they released a video the other day of kind of like a cinematic recap of a tournament. And and I think my favorite part of that was, um, I believe it was late in the Nebraska game where you know Katie's talking in the huddle and giving this really motivational, you know, speech that really fired up everyone. Like, are we, like, I refuse to let this one slip away. Like, we need to get back in the zone, that sort of thing. And so it's not just, like, coming in and scoring. Like, like you said of Chloe Bibby, she is that leadership. Katie, you can just tell how much passion she has. You know, that's really, really apparent. And, yeah, I, this team is its so fun to watch. Uh, they have so much potential. It, it's it's going to be a fun tournament for Maryland. And if they do end up defeating Mount St. Mary's, then in the round of 32, they'd have to play Alabama or North Carolina in the 7-10 matchup. So we could potentially see a Maryland-Alabama matchup in both men's and women's in the round of 32. But we'll get to that later. And then you look at the three seed on their side, it's UCLA. And if they both advance to the Sweet 16, that's where they'd meet. And in 2019, the tournament, the last tournament Maryland played, UCLA knocked him out of the round of 32 in College Park. So that would be a little bit of a revenge game for uh, for Maryland, maybe for Brenda Freeze as well. Right, and South Carolina is that kind of game too. You know, they had that um, kind of like three-year back-and-forth rivalry um, that Maryland won one game of and lost two, and that kind of developed as like a mini, you know, thing there. Um, you know, that's a team they definitely want to get some games back against. Obviously, like, with those two teams, this Maryland team has never faced those people. You know, like, no one on this Maryland team has ever played for Maryland in a NCAA tournament. Um, so, I mean, Shanice Lewis has been on the roster, but, you know, she wasn't really playing as much. Um, so, I don't think that matters as much, but there definitely are some exciting matchups there. And I personally would much rather see a North Carolina matchup in that second one, just to, you know, have a little throwback to ACC days. That would be a, a fun game. And it's, it, we, we keep talking about their, their chance to go all the way. I think last year they had a chance as well. Um, but to just completely shift your roster and still be in this spot it is so impressive. So I mean, kudos to Brenda Fries, who should be the National Coach of the Year. She was ESPN's National Coach of the Year, Big Ten Coach of the Year as well. Um, she's, she's done an incredible job this year. 
Absolutely. And and I think one thing that was pretty um amazing to see is like you I think you've just seen a different side of her. Um this year especially in recent weeks with you know the whole situation with her father but just it's so clear the love she has for this team and the close bond they have and I think that's been really awesome to see and that's another thing like it's not just that they're this insanely good team like there's that bond there that's very very evident that tells me they're gonna fight for each other like till the very end like there's there's that motivation aspect of what she's going through of the season they've been through of just all these extremely hungry players. It's just, this team has all the makings of a championship team. Like, it's not just the amazing offense. It's not just um, the defense really coming together lately or all the other things on the court. You know, it's obviously Brenda's coaching experience and all of that, but it's, you know, the motivation they have, the bond they have together, the experiences they've been through this year. And I think that's really going to pay dividends down the line. You talk about the situation of the season and everything. They have to go now into a bubble in San Antonio for the entire tournament. So if we're talking almost a month, if they end up going the whole way, um, and, and Brenda Freeze posted on her Instagram yesterday when they before they left, saying bye to her two kids, saying, I've never said this as a mother, but I hope I don't see you for a month. <laughs> I find that I find that pretty funny, but it's just you know, just so many different sacrifices are being made from athletes, coaches, staff members, everything to just be in one place for a month and not really have your full life um, and still make the tournament go on. And at the end of the day, I think when you look at Brenda Freeze with everything going on with her family and just leaving her kids behind like that, it's it's got to be tough. But to have this Maryland group playing the way they are, she called it a big distraction. Uh, from everything that's going on. So I think that just their talent level and everything can really help her uh, with the situation that, that they are in right now. And just the love they have for her was so evident. Like, I think going through the COVID situation has brought this team so much closer that, like, you wouldn't expect this bond for a team that didn't really have an off season that is very new meshing together, but just, like, the way... They all rallied around her on that stage of the Big Ten tournament. Um, like, just the love they have for each other. That's, that's so important. That, that's so crucial when it gets to this so, time of year and you're just going to fight for each other. Now we can get into that Big Ten tournament a little bit. Uh, but Maryland going to seven straight championships now in the tournament since entering the conference in 2014. And, I mean, that's just dominance. They're the first team to do that in Big Ten history. And they win again. It's it's just a broken record at this point. But winning the regular season title, winning the Big Ten title, and in the Big Ten title game, they broke a ton of records. Scoring margin, most points. Assists. Uh, and, and they really just dominated Iowa in that game. And I think what's more impressive to me is just the difference in Maryland to the rest of the conference because the rest of the conference makes up a lot of the AP Top 25. Right, but the Maryland, Big Ten needs to get Maryland more respect this year. steamroll them every game. Mm-hmm. I know the Nebraska one was close for a while. They lost to Ohio State in the regular season, but other than that, it seems like they're winning by 30 or 40, uh, or at least 20 every game, double-digit wins. So just the dominance that they've provided is really impressive. Right, and they have faced seven Top 30 net teams. They have faced, like, the deepest Big Ten we've seen for women's in a very long time, you know? So I I don't buy into any of that 
conference argument. Um, at the end of the day, they have two losses. South Carolina has four. I don't care who the losses were to. I don't care what conference you're in. This team is playing better right now. And you mentioned the Big Ten tournament. One thing that really stuck out to me from that game was the assist total. They, they set a record for that. But, but here's what specifically stands out to me. Okay, They make 41 field goals. 29 assists on those. You don't see that. Like, you don't see that men's, women's, I don't care what level of basketball you were on. You don't see that. And that just speaks to this team. Like, they share the ball so well. And it's, I've said this before, they epitomize basketball being poetry. Just the way they pass. I think Katie had this, like, incredible, like, uh, there's this play. Uh, Faith goes after the ball going out of bounds, somehow keeps it in play, throws like a ball behind her back, gets it to Katie, who then throws like a football lob all the way to Ashley Wusu, who goes in for the layup. And it's like they can score in an instant because they pass so well. And you wouldn't expect that from a team that like just got together for the first time, but they have an instant chemistry. And I mean, I can't think of any teams in recent memory that, you know, have 29 of 41 of their buckets assisted. That That is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, you talk about that specific play, and that's really what just like kind of sums up everything on their offense. Faith going after a ball, it's going out of bounds, and rebounding hard on the glass, and then just giving it off to one of the guards who throws it all the way up the floor. And it seems like they do that all the time. In transition, they're so hard to stop just because of how quick they pass the ball. And you mentioned just how impressive that is when you have a team assemble pretty much for the first time this year, if you really think about it. I mean, Owusu had a big role last year as the Big Big Ten Freshman of the Year last year, but she came off the bench, and you had Diamond Miller scored 10 more points per game than she did last season this year. Just the way they've stepped up and contributed in such a short amount of time and just meshed together so well is really what's helping them play at the level that they are. Uh, And you talk about the passing, just having an offense that's able to move the ball and have anyone score, I think is so crucial in the tournament because it's quick turnarounds on the weekends, just playing your first round matchup and then your second round matchup a few days later, they're going to have, they're going to need a lot of players to step up. And despite the fact that they only have 11 players on their roster and Shanice Lewis is hurt, they still have so much depth. They don't have depth in numbers, but they have depth in talent. And I think that is more important than having just more players on your team that you can throw in on the floor and get minutes. Because when players are tired in this tournament, it's it's, it's not going to matter because they can put anyone out there and win games and score points and just share the ball. And that's one of the main factors to this team's success. Yeah, I mean, Angel Reese is only going to get better and better and better each game as she's back. I really do love this team. And you mentioned the guard play. I think one of my favorite things that I saw this week, um, ESPN did a, did a live stream of Holly Rowe with Sue Bird. You know, obviously Sue Bird, huge UConn person, so she's going to ride with UConn. But, you know, she said, like, when she was asked her pick, you know, she said, if you took UConn out of it and I had to pick someone else, um, you know, I think number one scenes are going to get upset and I'm going to go Maryland. I'm going all in, go Terps. And then she said about the guard play, you know, their guards are just super fun to watch too. So I feel like the longer they play, the better for women's basketball. They're just like really exciting to watch. And I think that really speaks to it. They are 
good for women's basketball because this is a fun team to watch. They are fun to even watch. They score a lot of points. That's what fans like, uh, and more more so than a defensive matchup. But still, on the defensive end, they're as good as anybody. I think um, just stealing the ball, the guards at the top, that full court press that they have is just so lethal, um, and their ability to score in transition and push the push the pace on teams. In the Big Ten, which we, we keep mentioning, makes up a lot of the AP Top 25. They ran away with the conference, and now they're going to have to look to the NCAA tournament with a pretty easy matchup in the first round against another Maryland school in Mount St. Mary's. But after that, it's all gas, no breaks for them. I know they use that slogan a ton. Um, so just if they continue the way they're playing right now, just the unselfish play, continue passing the ball the way they do, I really can see them going to the championship and maybe even winning the whole thing. Right, and you look at it, I mean, I don't even think, like, I 100% see them going to a national championship. Um, I just have so much faith in this team. And, like, just to think about number one scoring offense, number one assist turnover ratio, number one three-point percentage, like, that's crazy. And and if you really dive into the analytics and look at how they rank in percentiles in the country, especially looking at these last 10 games, like, their defense is at a level that people aren't recognizing, like I said. Um, 98th percentile for steals. 98th percentile for efficiency. Um, those are just kind of two things right there. And then you look at their offense. Like, their 100th percentile for offensive rating. True shooting, 99th percent percentile. Turnover percentage, 99th. Offensive rebound, 95%. You look at their bench points per game. Over the last 10 games, they're getting 22.3 points off the bench. That's so huge when you're in a tournament. Um, they're just, they're, they're so good. I mean, you just look at this and 99th effective field goal percentage in the country. Like, the best offensive rating in the country. Just I could go on and on and on, but this team is special. And if we do kind of get into it and look at the bracket a bit more here, who do you think is the biggest threat to them of getting to the national championship? I think you you have to put the one seed South Carolina there and they'd meet up in the Elite Eight if they did. Um, and then once you get to the Final Four, they'd have to take on, on the other side of the one, it'd be Stanford. You have Louisville there. Northwestern, even as a seven, is there. Georgia. Arkansas, who they played already and dominated earlier in the season. Um, I think it's I – would, I would say it's a mix of South Carolina and Stanford just because those are the ones on their side still. But when you talk about Maryland's offense, I think they can just compete with anybody. Uh, and, and they're not getting the national recognition we keep talking about it, which could be a good thing. Yeah. Because there's no there's, – there's I mean, there is pressure on them to do well because they're a two-seed, but – if they were given that one, I think they'd have so much more pressure on them to get go to the distance and win the whole thing. Uh, but being overlooked a little bit, I think when you're a one seed in South Carolina or Stanford, they're going to have more pressure on them to do something. And that could hurt in the tournament. Um, and it's it's very rare to see all, all one seeds go to the Final Four and not have these upsets, uh, especially on the men's side. But, but on and, the women's, it's way more open than it has been because that kind of is common oh, yeah. for women's. But not uh, this, this year. year. This year, I'm expecting a lot, a lot different than what we usually see with 
UConn, I mean, I expect them to be at the end as well. But you talk about great teams that are here. I mean, Tennessee's a three. They're usually a top two seed. Just teams have been sliding a little bit just because of the, the major uh, talent right now. I mean, you see Oregon is a six seed. They're a top ten team, in my opinion. Uh, and, and they've fallen off a little bit. But it's just the depth in this this year in this sport, I think, on both sides, men's and women's basketball in college, this could be like one of the most talented years we've seen. Uh, and, and the teams are playing phenomenal basketball. I think this is probably going to be one of the better tournaments too because you see it now in a bubble, so many sacrifices being made. It's such a different year. Um, but I'm expecting a little bit of a different turnout because of how many good teams there are. When you look down the line, just teams you would expect to be at the top are in the middle of the seating. And I think that just shows how how deep every team can be. Yeah, and one thing for me is like everyone, I think with a lot of these top women seeds, especially with a team like Stanford, um, UConn has a really great offense. But to be honest, like they're not putting up that much a game. They're good because of their their defense is extremely elite in addition to that. But, you know, their offense isn't at the same level as Maryland. But, I mean, you even look at Maryland against teams that have good defenses. Like, look at Northwestern. They put 85 points up on Northwestern. Um, look at a team like Rutgers, who's one of the top in the country. You know, they were able to put up 91 over them. Even games where their offense has been slowed down, they've been able to score, like, in the high 70s. So, I don't see anyone slowing down their offense. And with this improved defense, you know, I think they can compete with anyone. Like, I think Stanford is going to be the biggest team in their way to get to the championship game. Uh, You know, that's the number one overall seed, a great team. But when you look at Stanford, its offense is not great. You know, they're shooting 36.9% from deep, which normally is good. But, I mean, for Maryland, it's over, like, 40%. Like, they're the best in the country. And, um, you know, they're allowing 52.7 points a game. But even when Maryland is facing opponents like that, they're still blowing it out of the water and scoring 70 to 80 points. So I'm not really buying into the argument that, like, their offense is going to get shut down or, like, they're not going to be able to defend. Because if I'm being completely honest, I don't think these other top seeds have anywhere near the offense that could even cause Maryland's defense trouble. I think you're right, and I think, I mean, you look at the competition in the Pac-12, it's one of the best conferences as well, but you could argue the Big Ten is right there, um, in my opinion at least, with the amount of teams ranked. Just maybe not as high. This season, as opposed to to others, I think that the Big Ten is as deep as anything they've they've had in a while. I mean, with Maryland running away with that, you see Stanford at the top as well as the number one overall seed in the nation, but they're going up against their their conference too. And I think both of those teams have had tests and, and been tested. I'm not sure if Stanford's been blowing out teams the way Maryland has. Neither South um, Carolina. And I think that's, as you mentioned, just their offense is so powerful. And I'm interested to see it go up against an ACC or SEC team in the second round, we'll see that. And then maybe UCLA in the Sweet 16, a Pac-12 team. We're going to see these matchups that we do. That's what I love about March is you see these 
untraditional matchups of other Power Five schools going up against each other and different style of play. Uh, and Maryland's offense just so powerful can run through this whole thing. Yeah, you look at that of the number one seeds, and Stanford is the only team that has faced um, more top 25 teams. They've faced seven, and, and Maryland has faced six, according to this. But really, if you look at it, they've faced seven. Um, I'm not really sure. Like, maybe they were ranked that at the time. But even when you look at it ranked at the time, it should be seven. Um, and then you look at kind of the teams that are ranked now and where they are in the net. I do think Maryland has has faced more. I think that um, I think the Pac-12 and SEC definitely, definitely have more top-heavy talent. But if you are looking at that depth and how they rank in the top five, sorry, top twenty-five, Maryland definitely has faced more. Um, though South Carolina, you know, is nine and four, they definitely have faced a lot of top twenty-five, but. They haven't been able to pull out those games against top teams, and, and you got to be able to do that in the tournament. I don't know why everyone's like, oh, they're still good because all their losses have been to these teams, but if you're a good elite team, you don't lose to those teams. And you figure it out, and you don't lose four games, you know? So I, I'm really excited for this. I think it's really, like I said, going to be a wide-open women's tournament. What other two seeds intrigue you? That maybe could be Baylor. competition. Baylor on the, well, I guess they don't have separate regions. I don't know the name of their region, but because they're all playing. In the, Riverwalk. Very yeah. weird region names. What What is Hemisphere <laughs> that Maryland's in? What even is that? <laughs> See, I don't know because they're all in the same city playing. So I'm not even sure where these come from, but uh, usually it's East, West, Midwest, and South that will determine where in the country you're playing those early games but that's another story i think a&m texas a&m is a two i think louisville i mean they're they're all good i would i would fear baylor the most baylor is a chance to be uconn on that side uh just because of their history and i mean i think they're just always solid and always good uh, i don't know too much about them this year i know that a few now it's probably 10 years back when they had Brittany Griner. She was one of the best players in the country. That was such a special Baylor team to watch. But um, I think just, I, I think they're they're definitely a threat to UConn. I wouldn't say UConn's going to take a walk. They'll probably walk there until, uh, until they face Baylor, if they do, in the Elite Eight. And we'll see if, if Baylor or Louisville can get those upsets. Um, like Sue Bird said, she thinks the one seeds are going to get upset this year. So... We'll see who's capable of doing that. I think it's it's probably those twos behind the ones that are capable. Right, and I think the point you mentioned before of like these teams aren't blowing out teams by as much. And and you look at Maryland's schedule and like the teams they face and how they are ranked now. A game that especially stands out to me is Indiana. Um, you know, that was a four point win, but that was early in the season when they hadn't even figured out their defense. And you look at some of these other teams that they've faced lately, Northwestern, Iowa, those are really good teams. You look at Michigan, 88-63. to 63. I don't know what other teams in the country can say that they've beaten a team like that, a number 16 team, completely blown them out of the water like that. I really don't. And it's just, it's going to be a fun tournament. It definitely is. Um, like I said, I don't know who can compete with them. 
And it's going to be the complete opposite of, of a men's tournament. It, it really is when you're looking at Maryland. So I guess that's a good transition to get into the men's tournament. Um, so, so Maryland men's basketball now we'll get into as a 10 seed facing off against Big East UConn, now in the Big East, as a 7 seed. That game will be on Saturday night at 7-10. And then they get a tough draw in the second round of playing Alabama or Iona. If they Iona make it. With, Iona with Rick Pitino back in the tournament, but I'm assuming Alabama is going to go out there and dominate them. And then if Maryland's able to defeat UConn, they have a tough matchup there, but it'll be tough in the second round. It's going to be tough the whole way. They're going to have to upset a lot of teams to make a run. Uh, no easy games for them. And it's, it's going to be an uphill battle, but... I think when you look back at the Big Ten tournament, just for a quick moment, beating Michigan State in that first game of, of their tournament was huge, and I think that definitely cemented them into the tournament, into the NCAA tournament. Um, otherwise, had they lost that game, I think there would have been some sleepless nights for Marturgeon maybe if Maryland moved back onto the bubble. I think they would have with that loss because Michigan State's on the bubble right now. They're a first-four team. They're going to have to play UCLA. They're winning that, the first four. I think Michigan State wins that, too. And I think they can win games in the tournament, but just the fact that they're on the bubble with that loss to Maryland, I think they, I think both teams would have swapped if Michigan State won that game in the, in the Big Ten tournament. Uh, but, but for Maryland, they were able to win a game in March, a tough one where they trailed by 12, then they go up by 19. It was just a complete flip of the script. And then they're able now to get a 10 seed, but they get a tough draw in UConn, who is – a completely different team when they have James Booknight, their guard in there, uh, one of the be- better players in the nation at that guard spot. So it's going to be a tough matchup, but I think in terms of the way that UConn plays, they're guard heavy. I think that helps Maryland a lot. Uh, and I think they're lucky to face a guard heavy team because they could have gotten a team with a traditional big man and it would have been a sight to see. Um, but I think, with the team this year that Maryland has without a traditional big man, they're lucky they're getting a guard-heavy opponent in the first round, but it's still going to be a very tough matchup. Right, and one thing you mentioned is interesting is Michigan is in that 11 game. That's a playing game. I still have absolutely no, cu- no clue how Syracuse made the tournament, and what really confuses me is why Michigan State has a playing game and Syracuse doesn't. Of Syracuse being 9-7 and seven in a horrible ACC league that doesn't have any top talent, and then you look at Michigan State, who finished the regular season 9-11, and 11, and that's kind of wild to me. But when you look at UConn, I think you're, actually, you're absolutely right in that the guard play. But he, I've said this on our other podcast that we're going to be publishing today. This will be coming out on Thursday. What is really interesting to me in this game is that you have two of the best defensive players in the country. You have the Big East Defensive Player of the Year and the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year going off. You have Aaron Wiggins and Book Knight, who you mentioned, who, you know, Book Knight definitely is more of a scorer and puts up way bigger numbers and I think is more of a prolific player. But they're very similar in length, although Aaron Wiggins is a bit bigger. They're very similar in athleticism, how they can really score from anywhere, how they're, and their team goes as they go. You know, I think that's how it works a lot of time for Maryland, but... I think the biggest thing going in Maryland's favor in this matchup is that Connecticut plays a man-to-man defense. They don't play the zone, and that is going to pay dividends. Because you look at Maryland's losses, 
a zone defense was involved. Yeah, a lot of the times Maryland's had trouble um, just finding openings against the zone defense. And when you talk about UConn, just for a second, they're just they were trending in a phenomenal direction until they lose to Creighton in the Big East tournament. Creighton is um, not and good. Then, and then you see Georgetown end up winning the whole thing, which is shocking to me. But uh, excuse me, Connecticut had won five straight before losing to Creighton. They had won two of their last three before that, losing one of those to Villanova. So you're talking about seven wins in their last nine games uh, approaching the NCAA tournament. It's a little bit of a different story for Maryland, but I like to look at the postseason as a new slate. And if Maryland's able to come out strong and just limit the guard play of James Booknight, which we've seen Maryland completely eliminate players when their defense is strong. When you talk about Michigan State, they did it twice. They eliminated Aaron Henry from the equation. Aaron Henry, one of the better scorers in the conference, one of the better scorers in the nation, was just a non-factor in both second halves and in both Michigan State games this season. If Maryland's defense is able to do anything like that and just limit book night, they have a shot to win a tournament game here. Uh, and I think it, it starts with that defense of just taking away their best player, forcing them to do things they're not comfortable with. And then your offense can roll off that. And I think Maryland's done a good job of that in games that they've won this season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's going to be a great matchup. I really do. Like I said, it's going to be a nice offensive matchup. But here's where I think there's really a difference. Maryland has been battle-tested. The Big East was so much weaker than it has been in recent years. Villanova has not been good. Seton Hall was terrible. Like, Villanova, in my opinion, has been overranked all season. Um... Same thing with Creighton. And you've kind of seen it in big games they've played. You've seen how they've gotten completely blown out by some teams. And, you know, Seton Hall is not as good. Everyone else in that conference has been eh. Like, they haven't been battle-tested at all, in my opinion. And I think the one thing is these are two really hungry teams, which is also going to make it a really gritty game. Um, You know... You have UConn, who hasn't made the tournament since 2016. You have Maryland, who is really thriving off the fact that they've been doubted all year. And that even going into this, no one thinks that they're going to make it. And I, and I think they're really thriving off of that. Um, but another thing to watch in this matchup is what actually happens with UConn in terms of who is healthy and who isn't. I mean, yeah, you, you talk about being battle-tested and everything. Um I think Connecticut being a team that was ranked at points this season, I mean, there's no denying that they are a stronger, talented team than Maryland, and that's where they're seeded. But you look at the opponents. I mean, Maryland could be a much lower seed. They weren't in the Big Ten. Um, but just the fact that they they don't have any bad losses because they can't, yeah, that that's very luxurious. But when you look at it on the other side, and those wins that they have are – phenomenal um, against a team like Illinois on the road without Ayala. They win that. I don't know how they won that I game. still don't know how they won that game. <laughs> <laughs> I think Illinois is going all the way, so I really don't know how Maryland won that game without Eric Ayala. Yeah, um, and to, to speak on, I realize I didn't specify, on what I said of who's able to play. You have RJ Cole, one of UConn's best players, who currently is in concussion protocol. And if he, like, he's still in concussion protocol right now, they don't know if he's going to be able to play. And if he can't, that is a huge, huge loss. 
This is a guy that's bringing 12.3 points per game and is a big assist guy for them. He has 96 assists on this season. But really having that many points come off the bench is huge. Um, You know, he shoots the three ball above 38%. Just just a big part of their team, and that's another guard, right? We mentioned they're guard-heavy. You take one of those good guards out of the equation, and that has a giant impact on the game. Oh, yeah. I mean, if, if they're able to take out any player for UConn, especially with Book Knight or Cole, if this is going to be a different story. He's our uh, second-leading scorer. Talk, yeah, you're going to talk about a competitive game um, if they're able to just limit one of those guys offensively and I think their defense can do that they've they've shown that they've done it it's just a matter of executing in the tournament and what's interesting is you talk about Maryland's basketball team and having pretty much no tournament experience with the Terrapins you talk about the Mets team as well they've only I mean most of these guys have only had one or two times of being in the tournament because they lost last year uh and Ayala and Wiggins only playing in it once Losing to LSU. Well, Daryl's only played in one as well. Daryl's been there a couple times. Once. Uh, yeah, Daryl's been there once because his freshman year they didn't make it somehow. It, I think that's that's crazy to think about for me. So Daryl Morcell's played in one NCAA tournament, and he's been here for four years. I mean, obviously they lose last year, which we all know that we all said it all year. They got robbed last year. I think they had a shot to go all the way. They had a shot to go to the Final Four with that team, talent and sticks leading the way. But this year, with the lack of experience, I think it's going to be interesting to see how they come out in the first game of the tournament. The same thing for UConn. I think they're a little different makeup as well than they usually are. Um, and there's some history between Hurley and Turgeon as well um, when he was at Rhode Island. So you, t- you just talk about two teams that I'm curious to see how they come into the tournament. Uh, and it's such a different year. No, they're traveling to this bubble in Indianapolis, playing at Purdue uh, for their first matchup in West Lafayette. I think that actually helps Maryland as well, just to know their surroundings and know their gym. They've played there. They're not good in that gym, now. though. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's always tough to play at Mackey Arena, but um, I think just being familiar with the area even can help mentally uh, and make them feel more comfortable in a way. Uh, but it, it's going to be such a weird tournament playing at different colleges against different schools and then eventually getting to Lucas Oil Stadium. But the the two main things I'm looking for is if Maryland's defense can limit UConn's offense and just limit both night at all, they're, they're going to be competitive. And then just to see how both teams step into the tournament, having little experience in a postseason like this, uh, especially in a year like we've had this season. Mm-hmm. And just to give a bit more context on R.J. Cole, because again, this is going to be a huge factor in this game. He averages, he's tied for the most minutes on the team. He's tied for the most steals. He leads the team with 4.4 assists per game. He has uh, the best three-point percentage on the entire team. He is second in, in scoring bes- behind Book Knight. Um Tied for the most steals, which I think I said. So, I mean, this is a guy that has a huge impact on the game. But I think another factor is going to be down low. Adama Sanago, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, was the guy that Maryland, you and I wrote about over the summer. They were in the top three, four, didn't get him. And he's been doing really well as a freshman. 
um, averaging 7.5 points, 4.8 rebounds, a block a game. Um, and he's been shooting 56% from the floor. So that's a guy that they are going to have to watch out for, and I'm interested to see how Galen Smith goes against him. You know, he is a 6'9 guy, so it's not like they're having that height differential, but he's a big guy in the paint who has shown some really good ability down low, and I I think that's a huge part of what this is going to come down to, is who can rebound the ball better, who can um, secure that play in the paint when need be. And when you talk about rebounding the ball, Maryland has a lot of success when it rebounds more than its opponents. Um, and that's going to be a huge factor here is guards attacking the glass um, and, and Wiggins getting to the glass. And we've seen Ayala rebound the ball so much more than ever before. More sell too. And, and Dante Scott's going to have to be an X factor there as well, the team's leading rebounder. Um, I just think you talk about the big guys – this is not like a traditional game. You really don't see guard play on both sides be be the main use. Um, but UConn has, has a little bit you more You mean height. forward play? I'm sorry? You mean forward play not being the main use? Yes, yes. I, I mean, you don't really see guard play being just always their, their top talent on both sides. Whereas, you know, Iowa is a team or Illinois that has inside-out game. I feel like both of these teams, Maryland and UConn, are really relying on their guard play this season. Uh, but UConn's got a little bit more height in the front court. I think it's just going to be a need for Dante Scott to be on the glass all game and really be a, uh, really muscle his way down low. Um, and, and we'll see how Maryland's able to shoot the ball offensively. And I think they'll have success if they're able to rebound a little bit and just shoot the ball and... and not go on those extended scoring droughts, which we've seen them do countless times this season and games that they've lost, um, just, just countless two or three minute scoring droughts. They've had multiple times in a game that just hurts you and allows the other team to go on runs. It's just going to be, it's going to be a tough matchup, but I think just limiting anything that book Knight does and then shooting the ball and rebounding it. It sounds easy. And it sounds like I'm just saying that, but, I really think that it's it's that simple for, for success for this team. It's going to be a gritty game. I, I think either team can win it, honestly. Um, in my brackets, you know, the two I submit for my uh, pools, I have one with Maryland winning and one with UConn winning. So it'll it'll really be interesting to see because, like, like we said, this is an inconsistent team where you don't know what you're going to get on a given night. So... I think they are able to pull this game off just because of their hunger and wanting to prove people wrong. But I'm not sure how far they go from there. But regardless, this should be a really, really great first-round game. Yeah, I think when you talk about a 7-10 matchup, I always look at it as a toss-up, especially this season. Um, you look at Oregon versus VCU, that's a toss-up to me. Florida, Virginia Tech, I think is the most toss-up out of any, the biggest toss-up out of any of these. Uh, maybe even an entire game in the first round, I think Florida against Virginia Tech could be the biggest toss-up. Oh, really? Uh, I think uh, this is. And then, yeah, and then in the Midwest as well, it's Clemson and Rutgers as a 7-10 matchup, which Maryland saw that Clemson team. I thought that Maryland was going to get a rematch with them in the first round, but it's Rutgers instead. Two teams Maryland's familiar with, I think that game's a toss-up as well. Clemson has been sliding a little bit. Rutgers is hungry in their first tournament since the early 90s. I mean, this... 
this tournament, like the women's side, is so open and so deep this year. Yeah, and I, and I guess we'll leave it at that, you know? Really, really exciting time coming up. We are having tons of coverage this week over at Studio Times. You can follow along with Matt and I on Twitter. They'll be tagged in this podcast. The best time of year is here. Uh, you, you ready, Matt? How, how excited are you feeling? Well, we haven't had one in two years now, and this is, in my opinion, the best postseason of any sport, professionally, collegiately. It's it's madness. It's March, and th- this is really when when the clocks go ahead. It's it's getting darker later in the day. The sun's out. It's warmer weather. Just phenomenal time for everybody. Uh, and I think this is some some light at the end of the tunnel for the the entire year of what we've gone through in this country. The sport going to culminate with this tournament i think it's it's just you mentioned it's the best time of the year and we haven't had it since virginia won with their comeback title in 2019 losing it last year now this year without kentucky without duke i think this is just this is this is the time this is the best time of the year and we'll leave it at that everyone good luck with your brackets and enjoy march madness